Welcome to the IEEE Rebooting Computing Podcast, an IEEE Future Directions Digital Studio production. Where there's big change, there's big opportunity to find new ideas and do things differently. Today's podcast features Margaret Martinosi, a true visionary who not only embraces the changes happening in the computing industry, but looks forward to discovering new and exciting ways to go beyond Moore's Law. Margaret has been an IEEE member for 30 years and an IEEE fellow for eight years. She is also the Hugh Trumbull Adams Professor of Computer Science at Princeton University and is the director of the Keller Center for Innovation and Engineering Education. Margaret shares what she believes will happen as we go beyond Moore's Law, including the candidate technologies already in the works, such as quantum computing, photonics, biological computation, and more. She dives even deeper into quantum computing and its future, shares her work and research at Princeton University, and discusses why she's been an IEEE member for 30 years and why others should join as well. Moore's Law has existed for over 50 years, and for about 20 of those years, people have been predicting when it would end, when it, when this wonderful exponential would stop. Um, with each new generation, um, we do make some innovations that extend it, um, but it's clear that the type of scaling that we're going to get is changing. We've lost Denard scaling. Um, and so it's clear that over the coming generations, aspects of Moore's Law are already stopping. So we will have to go post Moore's Law. There's no question to that. I actually think that it's quite hard to know what's ahead fully. And that's what makes it particularly interesting and fun for me right now. Um, I think we know what the next, say, five to 10 years look like. Um, but beyond that, there's a number of candidate technologies, and it's unclear whether we will pick a couple and coalesce onto them or whether we'll have this bifurcation across many technologies going forward, using particular technologies as they map well to particular applications or, or system needs. Um, so it's interesting to me that we have a, a set of candidate technologies, there may be more, and we don't know how many of them we're going to choose and in what configurations. Quantum computing is one that has been talked about a fair amount here. There's also technologies um, being talked about that have to do with photonics, um, have to do with different aspects of biological um, computation, uh, both sort of brain-inspired compute approaches, but also truly biological, like this afternoon's plenary talk about using DNA as an archival storage mechanism is, is an intriguing one. I think that quantum computing has been intriguing to many people uh, at the algorithms level for decades because there are these um, intriguing possibilities for exponential speed up and there have been people who showed um, examples of that and things like Shor's algorithm for factoring numbers. Uh, so at the algorithms level, it's, it's shown some promise and intrigue for literally decades. Likewise, at the devices level, there have been people working on qubits for literally decades. Um, what is different now is there's a sense of an inflection point as several major companies and countries and funding agencies have 
um, put in a burst of activity towards making it real. And so watching um, the qubit counts go up has both sort of given assurance that we're starting to know more about how to build these, and it's also given some sort of intrigue about what's next and, and how to close the gap between the qubit counts that real applications need and the qubit counts that we're able to build. We've had a great run with Moore's Law Scaling and with CMOS and semiconductor technology. Um, but to me, it's not about what's necessary. It is necessary. It's ending. Um, we're reaching physical limits. But it's also about what's intriguing and what's exciting. I'm a basic researcher. I'm in academia because I like basic research. So I look for opportunities for big change. And so for me, it's not like I'm grudgingly um, sort of approaching the reboot of computing. But for me, it's an exciting time because where there's big change, there's big opportunities to, to find new ideas and do things differently. And I find that exciting. So, so that's my um, motivation for it. So at Princeton, I, like most professors, I have research funding and I operate a research group um, with, it varies, but between, say, five and 10 graduate students at a time working on different aspects of cutting-edge computer architecture research. Um, some of my students work on more classical computing issues, uh, such as the part of my talk that talked about heterogeneous parallelism and how to make it more portable and how to make it more verifiable. And then I also have a piece of my um, research group uh, looking at these uh, systems issues around um, quantum computing and how to make it more real. Most of that work is done in collaboration with uh, Fred Chong at University of Chicago um, because over the years we've uh, just had um, a lot of sort of good interactions around building a tool set together and co-advising students in a larger group. Um, we also bring in uh, other experts sort of higher up in algorithms and lower down in quantum devices to inform our work so that it's constantly, our wheelhouse is computer architecture and computer systems, but you can't do this kind of work without knowing something about the underlying technologies and the uh, overarching applications. And so that's been the context that it's, it's research that I conduct at Princeton um, but in collaboration with people elsewhere who can sort of inform the, the choices that we make about research direction and about assumptions within the projects that we do. Um, I also obviously teach at Princeton. I haven't taught a whole uh, quantum computing class yet, um, but I do teach advanced computer architecture classes and get into these issues a little bit in them, especially sort of the end of Moore's Law issue is fundamental to what we do in architecture. And so it has to be talked about in almost every class that I teach. And then I teach a great moments in computing class, which is 24 of the great papers or ideas of the field. And I do one on um, quantum computing and Shor's algorithm as an example of it. So the other parts of the great moments in computing class are very wide ranging. So it goes from, um, the von Neumann report, you know, so early computer architectures, 
to the invention of the computer mouse. We read the patent of the, uh, the first mouse and we watch Doug Douglas Engelbart's um, mouse demo from 50 years ago video. So it's a pretty wide-ranging class, but I do one on quantum computing within that. I've been an IEEE member for 30 years. I've been an IEEE fellow for, I don't know what, about eight years. I think the main benefit that as a researcher we see with IEEE is its role as a convener of research conferences, as a sponsor of research conferences. Um, as someone who publishes in the field, I appreciate that uh, IEEE conferences uh, are operated with substantive peer review processes that you know, that my research community respects and that uh, help people get tenure and promotions and so forth along the way. So it's really that publication and conference process that is central for many people in my field as to why they are IEEE members and so forth. Um, my field happens to be one that sits at the boundary of EE and CS in a way that most of our conferences are co-sponsored between IEEE and ACM, the, which is the computing organization. And so it's important um, for IEEE and ACM to work well together in sponsoring these conferences and in convening places where we can have the discussions that the field needs to have to move forward. Thank you for listening to our interview with Margaret Martinosi. Discover more about the IEEE Rebooting Computing Initiative and listen to other podcasts in this series by visiting our web portal at rebootingcomputing.ieee.org.